Hello, and thank you for joining the Journal of a New Generation podcast from Waverley Abbey. In this six-part series, we are exploring how we as followers of Jesus can respond and walk through the disorientating moments in our lives and in the complexity of today's culture. We're going to be looking at the ancient paths of Jesus. Later in today's episode, we'll hear from Alicia Chapman, who leads the Great Britain national team for 24-7 prayer. Alicia shares her story of a relationship that ended unexpectedly and the pain of walking through that season prayerfully with Jesus. One of the greatest Christian myths of our generation is that if we just remain obedient to God, our lives will be generally blessed. And by that, what we actually mean is that life will be without too many bumps along the way and it will remain safe and secure. So when we are met with a curveball, you know, the things that we've seen on the news or in other people's lives, but never thought it would actually happen to us, we begin to ask some serious questions. Maybe I've done something wrong, or perhaps I didn't hear God properly and made terrible decisions along the way. When the very community that I loved and was part of for 13 years of my life came to a sudden end, I also asked the same questions. So Jason, I'd love to know more about decision-making as Christians. We know that the life of Christ is in us and that we get to do life with Jesus. But I don't know about you, I don't get memos from God. I don't get calendar invites saying, this is what I want you to do or task reminders. So how do we make decisions as Christians? Yeah, how do we make decisions? So um, in order to make good decisions, a word we might uh, use is discernment. And, and we're trying to discern what, especially what, what's the right thing to do, but what's God saying to me? And for a Christian, we often want to know, Lord, what, what should I do? Lots of things for decisions. I think God leads us to a place where he says, you know what to do. You know, just get on with it. Act, act justly, love mercy. We don't need to decide if we're going to act justly. Just be just, <laughs> be merciful. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the big things of life that we might say, what am, I, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be investing myself in when we come to crossroads, when we come to threshold moments in life? Um, <clears throat> and we're trying to make decisions. Um, we, we rightly should pause and say, how do I make those in partnership with God? How do I make them in partnership with the Holy Spirit so that I'm uh, doing that? Um, and there's lots of different ways that people talk about how you discern God's will for your life and making decisions. One that I love and I found really helpful would be Cribbed from Ignatius of Loyola um, and the spiritual exercises. Um, the spiritual exercises designed to take people through reflection on the life, death, resurrection of Jesus to encounter God in such a way that we are able to get as close to him as God would want us to be in that time of prayer but also so that we might be free from attachments, free from th false things that have our hearts and our desires so that we can return ourselves to God. Um, and, uh, and Ignatius talks about making an election, making choices about what I'm going to do with myself and my life with God. And it's just, I find it absolutely, I mean, I'll try it with you and see if you find it helpful. So that the first step is, what's God told you that you don't need to doubt? Um, and I think many times as, as Christians, we're like, we know. 
God's got our attention. He's convicted us. He's shown us as best as we know how. And that can actually be quite uncomfortable, doesn't it? doesn't have to feel amazing. That's the first place. What do I know that I can't unknow? What's God told me that I can't unhear or or have my attention? That that may happen. And that's that's wonderful. Actually, there's a step before that. You know, if it's illegal and immoral and, you know, then it obviously isn't God. But then the first step is, is there anything that God's told me? And then then the next step is consolation and desolation, which are probably beyond a conversation today. But where as I look at things and consider them, and and Ignatius gives some direction, but there's lots of ways that we can do it in general. If I was to do this, what might that look like? If I was to make this choice, what might that look like? And consolation and desolation are not about me feeling great again this is another thing we mistake with moving towards god that it's supposed to remove all risk uh make us feel warm and fuzzy and and everything sometimes there is a sense of god's presence and peace but consolation is more if i was to make this decision in this way it moves me closer to god sometimes that can feel really hard and you probably know that there are times when you say it feels like the right thing and it feels overwhelming. It feels difficult. It feels, oh my goodness, this is beyond me. Um, and then desolation is it moves you away from God. It, it's a decision that will have your attention less on God, less in relationship with him, and is more about you. Um, and it's a lot more nuanced that and things to it. So that first one, what's God told you? Second one, a you know, testing of things spiritually and with God and the Holy Spirit. And then after that, if you're still not sure what to do, Ignatius was really practical. It's like, make a list of the pros and cons. You know, make a list of them. Here's the pros, here's the cons, weigh them all up. And then when you get to the end of that, then look at it all and go, right. I mean, again, this is, uh, this is wonderful. Lots of leadership things do this now, but he was doing this nearly 500 years ago. Fast forward that decision. Make a decision in your head. Fast forward it for the rest of your life. And where do you end up? Would you be happy with that outcome? Right? So there's all those steps. Then the final one is, and I love this, having done all of that, if you are still not sure what decision to make, just make one. Because if you've gone through all of that, God will be with you because he loves us. And there's also a little postscript. And P.S., Whatever decision you make, know that you might regret it later on. <laughs> <laughs> that is a PS that I do not like, but it's so yeah. true, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love Ignatian's approach to decision-making and discernment because it brings together our mind and our emotions as well as spirituality. So it's easy to go, our spirituality is only about kind of the ethereal, the unknown, mysterious things. But actually God's given us our mind. So making a list of pros and cons led by the spirit of God, we're actually engaging our mind and going, so, and with our imagination, if we were to fast forward or fast track it, what would this look like in 100 years or 50 years? So I, I love that aspect of it. But I'm sure, I mean, I had this question, and I'm sure many uh, may be asking the same question, which is, Ignatius who? And what chapter of the Bible is he in? You know, that kind of question of how do we, how do we reconcile um, an exercise and an approach of a man that isn't in the Bible? And a lot of people are using these exercises for good reasons and in good ways. How do we, 
How do you reconcile well, that? Well, in some ways we do it all the time. Someone will recommend a book. Have you read Dallas Willard? Have you read Jill Weber? Have you, you know, there are people who have <clears throat> had encounters with God and they write about it and we, we read their stories and their stories help us understand ways to encounter God. So there's there's nothing unusual about that. Um, and the exercises are more, so you know, 16th century and uh, a long review we'd have to make of who Ignatius was, but someone who came to encounter God after a life-altering event, um, being wounded in battle, um, and, and spent time reflecting on scripture and found that there was a difference between when he imagined being like the disciples and when he imagined all the other things he'd hoped life would be. And that turned into a, a process of prayer and reflection. And then he led other people in that. And, and the wonderful thing about the exercise is they're more like a scaffolding. They're, they're not, in, in fact, they are focused around think of it as a bible study it's like here is a way to go through the gospel stories and reflect on the life death and resurrection of jesus that's it that's really all the exercises are there are some meditations in there and and those are wonderfully made from someone who spent so many thousands of hours with other people he noticed things that were helpful so think of it it's it's, it's spiritual direction and a process and it's a it's a scaffolding and a frame and some of the big parts of it are the beginning of the spiritual exercises begin with love i mean let's get the you know play the cards what would ignatius believe that actually we can't move into understanding who we are and what god wants us to do without understanding god's love for us and the the first reflections are to reflect on do I understand God's love? What is God's love? Do I want more of his love? Do I want to love him more? And be honest about that. And then it moves into what's called weeks and a week isn't isn't a week, it's a process of time. And those are literally reflections on start at the beginning of the Gospels, work all the way through for the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and spend time in our imagination to imagine what would it be like to be a disciple. Um, and I think Ignatius was convinced um, and I am too, that when we spend time entering into the gospel stories and being with Jesus, we're not just learning facts about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is making those moments real to us as if we were there and Jesus responding to us as if we were there. The exercises aren't just about imagination. You, you can walk and you can sing and you can write and they're incredibly creative, very person-centered. Um, lots of commentators on the exercise. Some of the rise in the middle, you know, they're about friendship. They're about love. Um, one of my favourite commentators, um, uh, George Ashenbrenner, said, you know, it's a bit like you, you're bringing people to. It's a way to get people to enter into the story of Christ and come before the foot of the cross and go, "There's Jesus. Let me know what you make of that." and to meet him and spend time with him. So that that's all the exercises. There's lots of other ways, you know, to, to do that. And lots of other people have got great books and materials. It's just that this one, you know, uh, started in the 16th century. Um, <laughs> it's had the test, uh, it's stood the stood test, the test, of, time test of time a little time. bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I, I, what I really appreciate about this approach is that, just a little bit like what I shared earlier, there's often this sense that, uh, when we face a difficulty that somehow have made the wrong decision. But starting from a place of knowing that you're loved by God and framing it as this isn't punishment, but somehow I can find the love of God even in the midst of 
what seems like a horrific situation because that love remains the same. That is such a powerful thing, isn't it? It is, and the, and the spiritual exercises do what lots of different understandings of spiritual formation, in other words, growing and encountering God that Christians have learned over the years do, that, that human beings tend to work at... The, the, the most superficial level is our circumstances, and sometimes that can be the sole place that we live. Is this going to work out the best for me and get me what I want? And, and a circumstantial life is not a great life. We're, we're tossed around by whatever's happening to us. The next layer down is who am I as my character as a person? Awful things might happen, but how do I choose to behave and respond? You know, I can act justly, love mercy, I'll bring some of these other things back. doesn't matter. My circumstances, my, my Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. Um, but there's a layer underneath that, and that's the one that Jesus wants to get to, that the Father wants to get to with us, and it's about identity. Who am I? And and that's what the spiritual exercises focus on. Who am I in my core identity and before God? And what do I want that to be? Can I hear an invitation from God for what he wants that to be? Because that changes everything. So we know it. When my, when my daughter was born and I became a dad, you know, suddenly, you know, there were lots of things. We didn't have much money and needed to buy things and do things. But I remember buying her a pram and I couldn't afford it. And I was like, how am I going to pay for this? It didn't matter. I was a dad. I loved her. My life would make a way around her. Um, and I think that's there's, that's what's available to us in our relationship with God. Uh, and often discernment decisions are about, can God help me make the right decision so that my risks are mitigated and things work out in the way that I want and expect them to? When we abandon that and come to a place of God, this would be Ignatian. Lord, in this moment, what is the greatest return of myself to you in love? Do you get the difference in the question? Because then it doesn't matter whether it works or doesn't work or something happens. It's a very different order of question. And it and it's the one of the belief that God loves us and whatever happens to us is the greatest, richest kingdom experience that we could have in the decision that we make. Even if it goes, and for many Christians in history, as we know, we make decisions and things do not work out how we'd expected, but that still doesn't mean they were the wrong ones. Wow. So these spiritual exercises have the opportunity to separate us from the circumstances and the situations we're facing and from those things defining us and defining God's love for us to go, actually, I'm going back to the truth and the root of it all, which is I am loved by God. This is who I am. And then we engage with the situation in a completely changed and transformed way. I mean, the spiritual exercises, I say, they're like lots of other uh, modes and processes for doing spiritual reflection and with a spiritual director. But it's just an intentional way um, to be led through and think, what level am I living? Is, this all this, is it all surface? Is it about circumstances and things and stuff? Is it about... Is it about my character and my choices? Or is it about my identity? Um, and who am I? Who we are changes everything. We know that in all of life, okay? The best leadership books and materials that are aligning with productivity, neuroscience, behavioral science, are cottoning on to the fact that who you are in your identity brings into order everything else in your life completely. 
as a, and that's our territory as Christians. Yeah. Who we are and discovering who we are in God means we can respond in much better ways, whatever happens to us. And God is then able to bring into our lives whatever he wants to bring into our lives. And we can receive whatever comes into our lives. The the word spiritual formation is quite a new thing to me, really in the last five years or so. Discipleship, I've heard, you know, going to church, etc. and depending on the denominations, but spiritual formation. And, and I love the the forming part of that word. And just a reminder that I don't have to be formed by what has happened to me. I don't have to be formed by even the decisions of others that have affected me constantly, whether that be childhood, adult, whatever. But I can be formed according to Jesus, according to who he says that I am. And that's the most freeing thing, isn't it? It's, it's so wonderful. So for those who, for whatever reason, and you know, those who are listening and watching this podcast, we're not saying the only way to discern the will of God is through Ignatius or spirit exercises. But what are some of the other ways that um, that we can move towards making healthier decisions? And by healthier, again, we're not saying best decisions, i.e. avoiding any kind of suffering and uh, a PS suffering happens in life. Um, so how can we move towards making decisions that are with God? Yeah, I think we can keep it quite simple in some ways. A bad sign is making decisions on your own in isolation from other people. So often we, you know, try and figure things out on our own. That's not great. Um, and if we do involve other people, we often make sure we talk to the people that would give us the answer that we want. <laughs> uh, and that's not a great practice either. Um, so what we want to do is go to just go to, you know, and have confidence. If we go to God and we say to him, Lord, Show me, tell me, and ask him. He's a good, scripture tells us, he's a good father. He will, you know, in in a myriad of ways, show us. Go to other people. people. This is why having Christian friends and people that are part of the body of Christ and going to people that you know will want God's best for you, not what you want things to work out. Do you, get, do you get the difference? Big difference. You, someone who goes, I want you to speak truth into my life. You see me, you see my potential, you see who I could be. As I face this, what do you think? What do you, don't pull any punches. You know, people that you trust, that see see more, it's often easier for other people to see what God has in, has in us than, than we can. So we do that with, with God ourselves. We do it with other people. Um, and of course, you know, we've got God's word and we can read and pray and stuff. And I don't think it's more complicated than that. And then getting to the cho- po- point where we make decisions, if we've discerned something and go, Lord, as, as if we go, Lord, as best as I know, I'm, I'm doing this. And I've done that. And that's it. That's all we have to do. There's something beautiful about kind of resting and relaxing into the grace of God, the goodness of God that, you know, what, even if I am stupid even if i've made a silly mistake if the heart intention is god i know you love me and i love you i want to do what is right by you then of course a good father will go yeah that wasn't the best but it's okay i'm going to help you out anyway and there's something kind about that and i think when it comes to decision making i know for me i forget the kindness of god that he's kind that it's not just you know righteous and holy he's really kind there's a kindness and a gentleness to him, uh, which is wonderful. Thank you, Jason. Spiritual exercises. Um, I shared 
one of your uh, blogs actually a while ago and um, I got chatting to a few friends and there's lots of different thoughts and feelings around this. I mean, I come from a charismatic evangelical circle. So most of my network of friends um, are from that background. And so spiritual exercises just seems, I don't know, religious, seems repetitive. It can seem lifeless. And I know that you're a spirit-filled Christian. So, so talk to me about this, Jason. Yeah, so firstly... You know, if we get hung up on spiritual exercises as some sort of, you know, Catholic liturgical thing, firstly, it's used by lots of people who aren't Catholics. But the way I think about it is, I've, I've already mentioned it's scaffolding, but think of it like Bible study notes. You know, many of us are used to Bible notes. You know, you, you have someone who says, hey, here's some passages from the Bible and here's, here's a story and here's a way to, to walk through it. In that sense, it's it's no more than that. It, it it's very similar to that, um, and we probably wouldn't object to that having some Bible study notes. So they they're called exercises. Um, one of the reasons they're called exercises is Ignatius said, "Hey, that's how we engage with the rest of life: body, soul, mind, spirit. You know, it's it, right. it's fully engaged. Right. It, it's not exercises as in strictures, and you must believe this and do this. Ah. Um, so it's just you know it, that that's uh, that's the word and exercises." So think of them as Bible study notes. There are biographies from Christians in history. You know, I don't know if you wouldn't object to reading a biography by someone who'd had an amazing experience of God. Yeah. Um, and they are supplemental. Um, they are not alternatives to scripture. In fact, the spiritual exercises themselves are based completely around reading scripture, meditating on scripture, praying through scripture, um, incredibly biblical um and that's probably one of the ways to engage with in any course of things that you were reading so you know as a i'm a charismatic evangelical um you know spontaneously god might speak to me and might i might sit and pray but i found that and it took me it take, took a few months to go through having daily directions simple ones to read passages of scripture and be asked questions and talk to the Lord about them. In fact, in the exercises, the word is colloquy, which means conversation. I mean, I don't know anything more truthful and intrinsically aligned with being a charismatic evangelical than chatting to God. And I, I discovered God as my father in a way I'd never, I'd never really talked to him as my father. And through the, through the exercises, the reflections on scripture, you know, started having conversations with God. He said, I want to talk to you. I didn't want to listen. And in fact, I considered myself being probably more charismatic uh, and more evangelical as a result of that. And in fact, the books on the spiritual, you'll, you'll find this. You, I'm sure you have done, but I did. You start reading books outside of your normal church stream by people in different traditions. And I love the, the these some of these Jesuit priests, they are head over heels nuts about Jesus. Yeah, And I'm like, that's evangelical yeah it's about christ and yeah. following christ so it's so true. the amount of times i've read something and i've gone wow my heart is on fire i am so in love with jesus as a result of reading this account and then afterwards i found out it was written by someone from a completely different stream of christianity that i ashamedly once would have gone oh, are they even christians and yet here i am going this has lit my heart on fire for god Earlier, I got to speak with Alicia Chapman, and Alicia shares 
very openly and vulnerably about her ending of a relationship and the journey that she had to go through. And exactly as we said, uh, coming to realize and recognizing that painful moments doesn't mean that a decision was wrong. It's just part of life, but Jesus is very much in the midst of helping us walk through those moments. Hey, Alicia, thank you for joining me all the way from the Yorkshire Dales. Is that right? Close, yeah. Close. Whereabouts are you up north? So I live in a village called Oakworth, so I'm West Ah. Yorkshire. Okay, okay. Even before we jumped on this call, we had a moment of laughter when I said, oh, you know, you know, everyone's got like disorientating moments. I was like, you know, I'm sure you have had a fair few and you just kind of threw your head back and laughed. <laughs> and we both went, yeah, no, we, uh, we've had a fair few in our lives. And, you know, we're not even that old, right? We've got many more years on this earth. And so um, it seems to be that uh, one thing that does connect us as humanity is that we do experience these um, painful moments, unexpected things, both good, but really hard and challenging stuff. So I'd love to hear um, a particular moment in your life where you felt completely disorientated and uh, and said to yourself, yeah, did not see that coming. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Oh, I think we've all had a few, haven't we? Um, but I think the one that came to mind as I've been preparing for this is um actually relatively recent and uh part of my story so I'd had quite a really quite traumatic relationship in the past um uh and just it had been not a nice environment to be in um and had gone on a real journey with God around that um and lots of healing lots of figuring out what that was with Jesus and stepped into after kind of many years stepped into a, a relationship that um was none of those things that was kind and uh honoring and just full of love and all of the things that you hope in a relationship and everything it was like okay this is the person that I'm going to spend life with now um and that was such a like had never even let myself think that before just because of past history you know when there's fear of believing for something um but kind of yeah thought this this is this is good this has uh I think again I thought God's hand was on it um but after kind of much discussion journeying with someone Um, there were just some differences that arose that weren't reconcilable and uh, and we had to part ways basically and it was the biggest curveball because there was no uh, no drama no I couldn't be angry at the person there was nothing um bad that had gone on I mean obviously no one is perfect right we (laughs) we journeyed in the mess of a broken world but um it was I just was blindsided did not see it coming and to uh try and grieve someone who is still alive still still there living uh their life and just away from you um is a journey that I'd not really been on in the same way before to to grieve someone that you love who also loves you but that it's not right 
to continue in a relationship with um, is, yeah, I think in terms of disorientating, I felt like my whole plan had failed and um, yeah, a real sense of grief with that. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I know you're a woman of prayer and many people use, you know, the term man of prayer or woman woman of prayer, but every time I've encountered you and we've connected, there's been such a um, tenderness to God's presence and a desire to be with him, to seek him in all things. And I'm assuming that's not just in the last, you know, year or so that I've gotten to know you, but that's kind of been throughout this time. And so I guess my um, my question would be uh, coming out of one relationship that wasn't healthy. I'm sure you had a lot of trepidation. You had a lot of um, prayerful decision making about entering into a new one. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me about that process of entering into that new relationship. What were some of the um, did you have confirmation from God that that yes, go for it, or or how did that come about in in entering into that that relationship? Yeah, so I would love to say that I had the singing of angels to confirm that it was the right thing to do, um, but for me, I guess bringing my heart before Jesus every day and sitting with Him and uh, journeying with Him, it was just that. as this kind of potential relationship was starting to open up, there was so much fear because of the previous pain. Um, And and I guess my my question to Jesus in all of it was, you know, is is this safe? Am I safe? Um, And the reality is, I think what I discovered in that process and still I'm discovering is, that my heart is safe in Jesus, right? Um, It sounds cliche, but it's true. Um, But in terms of the weighing up of, am I going to open myself up to this again? Um, Yeah, it was no signs from heaven. It was no um, thunderbolt moments, though I'd love to say that. It was a simple everyday conversation walking in in a way that I desired to yield to Jesus, surrender to him, choose him daily. And yeah, just this sense of we're going to walk this together. Yeah. So looking back, having now known, knowing now that um, it hasn't worked out the way you thought it would, would you go back to your old self and change your prayers or change your discernment? Or, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, you know, at the time, but looking back on it, would you go, oh, yeah, maybe that could have been different. Have you ever had that kind of thought of maybe I should have prayed differently? Maybe I didn't seek enough wise counsel. You know, our mind starts going to all of these places. Um, Yeah. yeah, What were your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think that's one of the... um loudest voices for me when something goes wrong is oh what should I have done differently here what what could I have done and that's never a bad question to ask um but at the same time um pain happens and is sadly unavoidable in the world that we live in and 
um, whilst I look back at kind of the time of entering the relationship, um, there's no sense of regret. There's a there's a there's a sadness, a deep sadness and a deep pain. But in terms of my journey with Jesus, sometimes the chapters of stories that he writes don't look how I would like them to. No. <laughs> but he has been in it just as much regardless. Mm. And so, yeah, in terms of my process of prayer, I think that daily yielding, that uh, surrendering to his spirit, I think that's that is how I kind of walked into the relationship and and now in in the ending of it it has to be the continued walking so um yeah could I could I have done things differently maybe but I think in terms of do I regret doing the journey with Jesus even now it's gone wrong and all of the complexity that that now brings because I thought this was God's will you know that's an extra layer of pain for for friends of Jesus isn't it as hang on God I thought you were in this and and now it doesn't look like I hoped um no I'd rather walk it with him than without him I'd rather have done the journey with him every step of the way um so yeah wow that when when you spoke about um it is often the case isn't it that when something goes wrong we suddenly uh, go back as though somehow we prayed wrongly because i think there's an expectation that if we pray the right prayers and if we do the right things then you know, we're not expecting a, a Porsche or a Tesla or, you know, five kind of holiday homes, but you kind of go, okay, there's a base layer of standard of living, whether it be relationship, children, um, a healthy church community and friendships and food on the table and work and all of that kind of stuff. There's an expectation that if we pray, if we just pray the right prayers and live a good life before God and righteously, then of course those things are going to happen. Um, and yet this is such a good reminder that actually pain and suffering and confusion is part of the broken world that we're living in. Um, but Jesus walks us through in that. Um, so in terms of the, that phrase, the will of God. Oh, such a loaded <laughs> phrase, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I know. I think we're kind of similar age and we've kind of grown up in that generation where um, will of God was used. I'm sure it has over, in, over many generations where it's been used for lots of different reasons and in lots of different ways with lots of different intentions attached. Um, talk to me about the will of God. Like what what do you having gone through what you've gone through has your understanding of the will of God changed? Has your perspective of or how you approach the will of God, has that changed at all? Oh, big question. <laughs> I think having grown up in the, in the church context that I have, which have been beautiful, I think in my younger years, I was convinced, no, there is a set plan and I just have to discover it. You know, there is a set there is God's will for my life. There is God's plan for my life. And as uh, if I just um, do everything right, 
then maybe I'll I'll find it and I'll walk in it. Um, but the idea of being out of God's plan was just uh, like horrific. No one wants that, right? Um, and whilst I absolutely absolutely believe that God leads us into specific callings, that God has plans and purposes for us, I think the more I journey with Jesus, the more I'm reminded his primary plan, his God's primary will for my life is for me to be with him. You know, I always think of John 17, Father, I desire that those that you've given me would be with me where I am. Like everything that Jesus could have prayed before the cross, that's what he was after, people with him. And so now when I think of, you know, in the massive decisions of life, what career am I going to do? What where am I going to live? Where am I going to move to? Uh, of course, we want to seek God's heart. But in the day to day, when it's like, oh, God, is this your will? Well, if I'm walking it with him, that's his heart. That's his desire. And so, um, yeah, that father I desire that they would be with me. I'm like, Jesus, if I can just respond to that every day and be with you, then I'm going to trust that I'm walking in your will. Um, so, yeah, I think there's been a journey. Still believe that God has a, has plans and purposes, still want to yield to them, still want to follow wherever he leads. But his biggest plan is that I would be with him. Um, and that has to be the daily choices. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I found in my own heart and in the friends around me that um that we we kind of go into a very strong binary positioning so either it's there is a specific will of god and we must seek it and ensure that no demonic activities are going to stop us from stepping into that specific path but then those who have been through a lot of pain and suffering and disappointments are firmly in or, or they you misunderstand the contemplative um, prayer, uh, contemplative prayer practice or contemplative spirituality as a way of going, you know what? Everything is for the glory of God. Therefore, there's no need to contend for anything. There's no need to seek out the will of God because if I am with him right now, that is the will of God fulfilled. And so there's almost a passivity that can come about, right? Yeah. How have you found that tension in your life? Because you just beautifully mentioned that together of actually they both coexist. But I'm, I'm assuming that when you come out of a really painful moment, you may be leaning more towards one than the other. And as people, as, you know, I know I've gone through those moments where I've gone to church or a, a conference and someone's preaching about the will of God. And you just, I just, my eyes roll and I'm not proud of it. And I've repented of it, but I'll sit there and go, oh, the will of God again. Can we just be with Jesus? Can we just enjoy his presence and stop trying to like, figure out things and then there's been other times when people have been like i'm just here loving jesus i'm like no god has a specific plan like we've got to seek it and yield to it and so how do you walk that tension alicia like in the day-to-day -day? yeah i think it really is a tension um as are so many things aren't they in the christian walk yeah. i think for me I don't know if this is a helpful analogy, but it's one I come back to often. Mm. Um, 
I live I live in a village that has a steam railway, right? That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> the railway children. It literally is the village of the railway children. Wow. Um, but when I see a steam engine that is on track, it's moving with speed, it's heading in a clear direction, it looks easy. However, particularly for a steam train, the thing that causes that direction and that momentum is the hard work of stoking the fire. And, you know, for the guy who's actually shoveling the coals on, stoking the fire, that is not a comfortable position to be in. That is hard work. (laughs) They're often sweating, uh, you know, dirty, mucky when they get off the train at the end of the day you can tell where they've been (laughs) they've been by the fire and so to me the posture of prayer yes we we don't want to strive in the place of prayer but it's not passive it's it's stoking the fire even in the places of pain choosing discomfort sometimes to say this matters it's actually the the fire inside that is going to keep me on the path that I'm meant to be on. Um, and so I think that's, I think actually prayer is where the tension lies for me of like pressing into the will of God, but also receiving from him, also focusing on being with him. I think it's the posture of prayer where both are held in tension because I'm going to press into God's heart. I'm going to put coals on the fire, I'm going to guard and and cultivate this fire within. And in doing so, I'm going to move with God in the direction that I'm meant to be going. Um, And in doing so, I'm going to discover his heart and press into that um, and be active and intentional in partnering with him in that. But the action is the same almost. It's, It's stoking the fire. It's, it's, it's intending for the fire within and from that place, contending for for what's to come. That's beautiful. So the the stoking of fire, if we were to go real practical, because, you know, I'm sure people listen to these um, conversations. They're like, yeah, I'm going to stoke the fire for Jesus. And then they go, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Um, going back to the, because for me, I think when I'm in a good place with God i.e what I mean by that is when things are going exactly as I think it should that's what I mean really then praising God and worshiping and giving thanks is so easy it comes so naturally you put on any song and you're like Jesus I'll be listening to I don't know Adele and you're like I hear God in the voice of Adele you know that kind of thing but when it's in the painful moments and things haven't gone as I'd hoped or as I thought they should or they could, um, stoking the fire may look different. So for you, how has the journey of keeping that fire alive in prayer changed over the years? I'd love to know, has it changed? Um, and if it has, how has it changed? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been on a real journey with this over the years and I'm very much still on it. Um I, uh, for a few years in life, I spent ministry, uh, I spent time at a ministry in the States, a prayer ministry, um, where there was uh, night and day corporate worship that took place in one place. And so I was used to spending hours of every day um, in a context of corporate prayer 
and corporate worship. So corporate intercession, praying for the nations. Um, and then also trying to balance my own internal prayer life. And, um, and so when I came out of that context, because it's very easy to stoke the fire when you're in a ministry where like my main job every day was to go and spend hours in corporate prayer. No one gets to say that very, very rarely. And so it's like my whole life I felt like was prayer because of the, because of these extended hours that I was doing in, in that context. And then I left that and I came into a context where I had a job and it was just <laughs> me and Jesus. And like, where's the band? Yeah, where are the flags that are waving the banner of Jesus over my head? <laughs> where's the band? Where's where's the like fiery yeah. intercession yeah. all the time? Uh, <laughs> and whilst there's such beauty in that, you know, there is something powerful about corporate prayer. I had to learn to stoke the fire in a in a different way. And um for me, um I have this phrase that I come back to that is root forming rhythms. When I think about the parable of the sower and God um, being the farmer, sowing the seed of his word, you know, I, I flinch at that kind of tension of, you know, the seeds that come up really quickly, but then are withered because there's no root. Um, and, you know, the ones that are growing among weeds and, and all such as that. But, um, the seeds that take deep root bring forth fruit a hundredfold. And, and so for me, as I think about, as I've kind of thought about stoking the fire, that is what it's about to me is, is in a culture that is obsessed with visible growth. What are the rhythms in life that form invisible depth in the place of prayer where God's word can actually take root um, because that is where my choices will change, my actions will change, my heart posture will change. And so um, for me, it's root forming rhythms that don't look that wild, <laughs> like they don't look that radical, but it's choosing. I have a yellow armchair in my living room <laughs> that that's the first place I want to be when I get up with my Bible, with my journal, and taking a moment to say, I'm here. Like when I think of prayer, I think of my awareness and engagement with God's activity around and within. So God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What does it look like to partner with you in that today? What are you saying through your word? And so yeah it's it's that rhythm of I wanna and I'm not saying I do this perfectly by the way but I want to start and end my day in my yellow armchair or if I'm somewhere else I'm on the road quite a lot finding that space and that place that says I'm here I'm yielding I'm listening I'm stopping I think uh Sometimes stoking the fire looks like stillness. And that is such a clash with the culture that I've grown up in. 
Um, but it looks like stillness. It looks like saying, Jesus, I'm here. What are you doing? Um, and letting his word come alive to, to pray scripture is is the greatest joy. So I do wonder if um if our desire to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to impact the world around us has um had a negative impact to the withdrawal of being alone with him which is what then stokes the fire to be the hands and feet so we've, we've kind of been going out with like limp wrists and like l no strength in our fingers and missing a toe etc where it is that that withdrawal um not to be isolated from the world but to be completely with god and then going back in um i love that that yellow chair that's that's yeah that's amazing. I think everyone has their place, don't they, in the house usually? Like, what does that look like? Um, and the three questions, I just wanted to go back to that. Uh, you, you were asking when you're spending time with God was, God, where are you at work in, where, where are you at work? What were the three things that you mentioned? Wait, wait within me and around me. Within so you and around you. I think, uh, I think, again, there's another tension in the place of prayer of, um, wanting to recognize what God is doing in my heart and in my life, but not becoming self-consumed. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the questions that I bring to him is, yeah, what are you doing within me? And, and I have a part to play in that. So that's where uh, repentance and confession, as well as just reflection and gratitude you know, where have I seen God's presence today? Uh, where where have I seen you at work? What what are you doing within me? But then what are you doing around me? Which again, gratitude, but but then intercession or uh, crying out for uh, God. I want to partner with you in that. What does that look like? Beautiful. Wow. Um, I know that twenty four seven prayer which you're part of and you uh, lead the, you head up the team for GB, Great Britain 24-7 Prayer. And I think it's 2024. Is that the a special birthday for the movement? Is that right? It is. So 24-7 Prayer turns 25 in 2024. There's a lot okay. of 20. Yeah, 24, 24, 25. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. good memory i love that and um and you're telling me a little bit about what you're going to be doing within at gb so would you share with our listeners um what's going to be happening in 2024 uh, within 24 7 prayer gb absolutely so yeah we in 24 7 prayer gb are partnering with 24 7 prayer scotland and ireland and the real heart is we want to see a year of non-stop prayer. So at the heart of 24-7 prayer, funnily enough, is, is night and day prayer, is non-stop prayer. Um, and so just as we've been talking about kind of stoking the fire in our personal lives, in, in places of disorientation and pain and confusion, our heart is okay, God, there is a lot going on in the nation and the nations. What does it look like to stoke the fire, to, to form deep roots, but as a nation, 
Um, and so we are putting the call out there to cover the nation in prayer for a year. That's the vision to pass the baton on to one another. And, and I think there's a personal, a, a local and a national element to that. Because I think that's that's a beautiful thing about nonstop prayer is that individual stories are written in that place. So if I sign up to my two hours as part of the story that God is going to write in the nation, he's going to do things in my own heart because prayer is transformative. But beyond that, as my as I do that as part of a community, say we cover 24 hours as a community between us our community is going to look drastically different because that is 24 hours stoking the fire, pressing into the heart of God. He's going to write individual stories that form a beautiful community story and that community will look different. But as that community then passes the baton on to another community, cover the nation, what could God do in a nation? What stories could be written across a nation as individual hearts and then communities and then regions say the presence of Jesus first in the midst of everything going on I'm going to stoke the fire I'm going to form those rhythms and and press into God in a unique way so that's that's what we are hoping to partner with people on and just say hey and prayer creatively contemplatively the fiery intercession let's pray let's be a nation on our knees and and press in amen amen and to find out more um how can they get involved how can they find more information about this yeah absolutely um so uh both on the 24 7 prayer gb social media um that's instagram facebook um there are all the details and we'll be posting regular things but we also have very uh own web page for it on our website um so i would definitely recommend going to there and um yeah, we've got things that will help people prepare. We're going to be running a series of webinars that look at why and how prayer rooms, like what does it look like to create a space of encounter for God and how do we practically do that? Um, and then we'll be releasing various tools and resources just as tools in people's hands who are saying, want to do this, help me. Um, and there'll be a series of tools available. So yeah, head to the website. Um, wow i'm so excited for 2024 it's good i mean i've still got a few more months to go but just the thought that i think i love the connection that you made of individuals communities and the nation and i'm sure then nations and it's and that's the kingdom of god isn't it it goes from it isn't just a personal faith nor is it just a public faith it's it's all connected, the communal, the individual, the wider and, and personal. It's just so wonderful and beautiful. It's yeah. so a nonstop prayer and worship. Night and day, 2024. Here we go. <laughs> Come on. It's be so good. Yeah. <laughs> Alicia, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story and um, and hard-earned wisdom through it. Um, so, yeah, really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining this episode of the Journal of a New Generation. In life, we will all have to navigate challenges and make difficult decisions. We hope today's episode gave you some tools for how we discern the best path forward with God in prayer. This podcast was brought to you by the supporters of Waverley Abbey, and you can find out more at waverleyabbey.org.
Don't forget to subscribe, review and share this podcast. Thank you.